Hi, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Kyle Green, and we're going to talk about short-term rentals. The British Columbia government has gone and surprised everybody with fairly draconian rules and regulations on anybody that wants to have an overnight rental. So, Kyle, Kyle, of course, you've seen him here before on the channel that we really value his, his input. He is one of the preeminent mortgage brokers in Canada. His wisdom is deep, and he also owns an Airbnb or other a short-term rental kind of a building, some six or seven units in Victoria. <clears throat> Excuse me. Welcome, Kyle. And what do you think about this legislation? Well, I don't know. Um, from a personal perspective, <clears throat> it's possible that this could actually be a good thing for us because it might eliminate some of our competition in Victoria um, <laughs> because of the rules. So it could be a good thing. Um, but as a general thought process, you know, when government makes swinging, um, you know, sweeping moves like this, it's 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 never good. And, and especially when I look at, you know, some of my clients that have purchased property over the last two years, a lot of them are, have said, hey, I buy a short term rental because I can't make the numbers work on a long term investment or a long term rental. So I'm going to do a short term rental instead. So they made a buying decision on that. Um, and now all of a sudden the government says, oh, by the way, your uh, prognosis is completely off and um, you're not able to do that anymore. So I'm uh, I'm not a huge fan of, of when the government comes out with a rule that is this, uh, this sweeping for sure. Well, it has so many implications. Of course, we don't know all the details yet. But in essence, this new, some people call it draconian legislation uh, under Bill 35, effectively bans second home short-term rentals under 30 nights. And many regions across BC are affected. Now, you may be in a region in British Columbia where you're not affected. That's usually a community under 10,000 people. And um, But the whole idea, the definition of long-term rentals is now 90 days or more, and there's huge implications in that. And what the thing that worries me most is that it removes all the grandfathered rights and the protection under legal non-conforming that people have had for 60 years. We're talking about... Uh, sort of 16 years of jurisprudence uh, on 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 this particular subject. So, to to some, it means stripping away our property rights and attempting the homeowner of a second home into some sort of a narrow funnel of either they sell, right, or they leave it empty, but then they have to pay speculation tax, or go into long term rental over 90 days that they really hadn't intended. Yeah, 100%. I think. Um... It's definitely going to be uh, affecting people, and and I'm glad that you picked up on the 30 versus 90 day thing because 30 days had always been referenced as that cutoff point. Um, and so I know some people in Vancouver, for instance, have said, "Oh, it's got to be 30 days." Okay, I'll still list it on Airbnb and VRBO, but I'll just do you know 30 plus days uh, stays. And some people are still staying busy enough that way. Um, but 90 days, 90 days is tough, and so. I think we're going to see a lot of people trying to figure out how to uh, to manage this. I think you're going to see a lot of people try to see if they can do medium term rentals, but there's only really so much demand for medium term rentals. And in my opinion, in order to do the uh, short term or the medium term rentals with like corporate uh, clients, et cetera, you kind of have to have a business model that that represents those companies that are doing the employee transfers. You know, you have to have a property management business that that can source those individuals. And I think a lot of people are going to say, oh, I'm just going to move into corporate rentals. Eh, not so fast. I think that you're going to see a lot of people trying to do that and you'll flood the you'll flood the market. And then they're, uh, again, won't be getting the kind of rental income that they were expecting. So I'm concerned a little bit for for some people. As I was reading up a, a story last week when uh, when the news broke out 
there's a, a poor lady in uh, Victoria that bought four rentals in one building. She sold and, and got rid of all of her retirement savings. And her retirement was going to be these four rental properties in Victoria. Um, and it's to be determined. So she is in the, a certain district called the Old, Old Town District, which technically permits hotel use, which is an important key distinction as well, is that hotel use is an allowed use. Um, but, uh, but it's unclear at this point in time whether she'll be able to continue to operate. And that's her, her entire retirement savings. And now she might have to sell her units, perhaps at a loss. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's disturbing. But one should be, should be clear, it's not so much that you're in a hotel district. Your zoning actually has to be a hotel zoning, and then you're covered. And so that's the whole thing. I mean, we have right now, I think one of our MLAs, uh, John Rostad, uh, you know, he said, he said to the government in the house uh, last week that he had a petition of some 2,000 people against it, that, that the groundswell uh, is there and, he blames the government to be in the pockets of major hotel chains that want to bring in hotels. And of course, then the day afterwards, uh, Premier Eby said, we want more hotels, which was echoed by our finance minister in Toronto. I don't know exactly how hotel, more hotels will help long-term rentals. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know either. But I think that one of the factors that's going to happen here is that because there'll be less short-term rental opportunities for people to stay at, the hotel rates, of course, are, are going to have a heyday. One wonders how much hotel lobbying has occurred in order to push this uh, legislation across the finish line. Um, but now, all of a sudden, hotel rates will go through the roof. And so what are the spin-off negative impacts of this? It could be a negative impact on um, on our tourism industry here in, in uh, BC, right? So if it's way more expensive to stay at uh, in Victoria or anywhere else, um, then uh, that might curb people to to look elsewhere. And a lot of people that I talk to, Aussie, are just, they, they prefer the short-term rental. They prefer the suite with the kitchen, that they get to go there, they get to cook their food, et cetera. They just prefer that option. And maybe this will be a push for hotels to finally offer more of that type of uh, option. But uh, but I think that that's another issue is it's not just that the people will go in a hotel, don't worry about it. I think that it, it will have an impact on tourism because people won't find the suitable housing they're looking for while they're vacationing. Carl, you, you put your, your finger on the on the, the problem because uh, why is it so successful? I mean, the whole question is short-term rentals are successful because generally they're a lot cheaper than our hotels. I mean, I was just at Whistler. I had an average kind of a hotel room. I, make, I was making a speech to the dental association and uh, – no, I didn't have to pay for it personally, but they had to pay for me. It was five hundred dollars, you know, for for the night. Right? So on a on a on a two night stand, it's a thousand bucks. I could have gone to maybe not in a hotel, kind of an area like this. Low resorts are always have different uh, things, but governments make decisions that are really surprising. I was just uh, had some exchange with the mayor of Sun Peaks. For instance, Whistler is exempt on foreign buyers buying, right? And so is um, Vernon's uh, ski mountain, but not yeah. Sun Peaks right? yeah. and no, some no, other no. ski mountains. Well, well, who makes these kind of decisions? I mean, Sun Peaks is the second largest skiing mountain, right? So, And it's the same with this short-term rental legislation. There are things in here you say, what do they mean by that? For instance, what it is, is you can rent only if you are also the principal resident. So what we've been saying to people for years that get a mortgage helper, have a suite. Well, so you're allowed to have your residence and, and one other rental unit. That's it. 
Yeah. So if I had a basement suite, that's it. But we're also being told to build laneway houses. No? So the laneway house now, does it qualify? No, because that's a second unit. So the laneway house or the suite would have to get onto a long-term rental. Would it? I mean, these are all questions. Yeah, I think it said, or if I recall, that you could do one of those two. Um, but it said, oh, you know, let's see here. So it's limiting it to the host principal residence plus one secondary suite or accessory dwelling unit. And so, right. so not both. the accessory in the suite yeah. would be the suite. Yeah. So it's an or, not an end. Yeah. So but look at that. Like, like I have now a house with a basement suite. This, I needed that for my mortgage helper. Then the government has been telling me for the last 10 years to get a laneway house. Now, I've always talked against it because I look at the laneway house. People don't realize it's $70,000 in fees just to get it built. Let's just permits. Cost yeah. you five hundred to 600000 to build it. And then you might lose as much as 30% of your capital gain exemption on your single family home residence. People just don't think about it. To do, to do what? To get a $3,000 income, right? So, but now you have it. And now you can't even, you can't even get it uh, uh, other than renting it at a minimum of the, the, the new uh, rules and regulations. So yeah. how does it work with the districts? There are certain areas are exempt and other areas are. Yeah, so the, the the key would be that there's 14 uh, uh, places they, that they've noted. Most of them are ski towns. Um, some of them are interesting that, you know, as you said, Sun Peaks is not on the list, but Fernie is and, and whatnot. So I'm not really sure where they came up that for, that list of 14. And they were very clear on that list, too, that we will not be adding anything, any other uh, municipalities to this list, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, but I do say the that they, they call it the regional districts, uh, that are captured. Now, he says, if you are in any of those those uh, regional districts or other areas, then you're safe, right? But they say that the regional district for the first time in the history has the ability to issue business licenses. Guess what they will do? Of course they will. It's a source revenue <laughs> source, right? But the other thing is the BC government leaves the option for an opt-in for the regions if they so choose, right? Yes, that's right. So, so, so now they're Really, for depending on the municipality, you really you really are uncertain. And so, as a buyer, do I still want to buy a sun even in such an area when I don't trust it? It's funny. In the last Ozbus, I wrote that this was coming, or we had heard a rumor. But people, most buyers, don't realize in most municipalities in BC, there's already a clause in there that their overnight rentals are permitted. However, that could change, right? And and I know, for instance, of some buyers in Kelowna that want to get out of a deal. I mean, they, they spend, X, say you spend a million or a million and a half on a condo thinking of the, you know, today's fees, 30% of that yeah, have already gone to the government. And so now you want to make sure you get some sort of return. And if that if that's done, you know, those people will not uh, be interested anymore. But it's my, the people that are against it are quite a few. I mean, we have um, uh, the funniest thing that just came out is that our premier, Mr. Eby, uh, that there are some documents that were put in the house by the opposition. He says he calls it the condo flipping hypocrisy of David Eby. Mm. Not only did he cash out weeks before the speculation tax took effect, he also marketed the property as a potential Airbnb investment. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean one could be unkind and cynical and say he knew what was coming 
yeah. mean, you know, saying that, of course, but, uh, but it's a, uh, but look, we have the BC Food and Beverage Association has come out against it. They're saying that, you know, we're forgetting that we need rentals for film production, healthcare providers. We want relocation companies, insurance claim companies, construction trades, real estate groups. I mean, even landlord BC, because it is driving LTR investments out of British Columbia and so many more. And there is actually now a group on Facebook. Anybody that's against it can join that group. It's run by Blake McKenzie, who is the president of Vacation Rentals. Mm. But it is, you know, the, the opposition is mounting. But when our federal finance minister is looking at the model to implement it nationally, I mean, the city of New York right now in the United States brought in a, an even more draconian uh, short-term rental uh, bylaw. Uh, I mean, there they'll only allow you a maximum of two people. They're even limited to the number of people that can have. So um, it's a thing that's coming. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um... And that, that's always the concern, too. If you're in Ontario watching this, um, if BC is doing it, Ontario is is probably not too far behind. Ontario has a, a major housing crisis as well. Um, and so it, it's other areas that often do, you know, sometimes it's just one uh, one domino that falls and then the rest all fall and uh, and come after that. So be interesting to see here. But I, I, I think um, there will be some pushback. There probably will be some class action lawsuits, whether or not they will be successful is a completely different story. But I think there will be a lot of pushback for sure. And it'll be interesting to see if there are any tweaks between now and May of 2024, when these are all supposed to come into effect, um, whether there are little minor tweaks or, or addendums. Yeah, I was talking to somebody and this is not advice. It's some just sharing, but that person said, look, you know, let's not go totally bananas. Let's fight. But he says, as you point out, it won't be law till sometime in April next, next year. And then it probably take them six months to get the, you know, to get the, the enforcement in line. So maybe you're okay till next summer. But how can you run a business? Is that kind of an uncertainty? Then finally, the government maintains that Airbnb is sort of the villain, uh, that these platforms have to toe the line. Uh, the new legislation also envisioned you have to have a number and that license number has to be displayed on every ad that you put out and has to be on those platforms. And otherwise, they'll force the, the Airbnb to take you off the platform. The crazy thing is that they're blaming Airbnb. But when you look at the Conference Board of Canada came out and said that on a provincial level, there is no evidence that Airbnb activity has pushed rents upwards. Right. So they just came out with this, uh, with this, uh, comprehensive study, which, uh, was a call all Airbnb and rental markets between 2016 and 2022. And again, we find no compelling evidence that the level of Airbnb, Airbnb activity had a meaningful impact on rent. So, you know, so we are, we are, we are again solving a problem, hoping that rather than just going and building 20,000 units and making that easy, we don't do that. I mean, the crazy thing is federal government and the BC and the provincial governments and the city governments are not together. You and I talked about it. Several yes. developers I talked about it. We've got to put them all in one room with absolute powers to make decisions and don't let them out until they come up with a meaningful decision. Look, the federal government finally came out and did away with the GST on rental construction, right? So great. Then just about as they were giving Surrey and the city of Vancouver a loan out of their, their housing fund, 
they find out that the city of Vancouver raised its fees by 32%, which took away almost all of the, the grant that they were given. So they're putting that on hold. I mean, the city of Toronto just raised its DCCs, development cost charges, by 50%. Yeah. I mean, hello, right? So you have government on all levels saying, well, we can't really have the taxpayer pay the extra money, but we need new waterworks. We need all that. So we have the developer do it, and then we can blame them for it. They're the big fat cats that are. Yeah. But the result will be there will be a lot less construction. Yep, 100%. And margins are already getting thin anyways, with uh, regardless of the DCC charges, I mean, as interest rates have risen, that when you start to look at your pro forma as a builder, it just squeezes you and squeezes you. And eventually, a lot of developers, other than the big guys that are sitting on, on their land that they've owned for 10 years, and they own it with cash, and they're not borrowing money to sit on that land. Those big players are fine, but it's the small to medium guys that are yeah. saying, you know, this is not penciling out. They're not acquiring new properties. Um, they're not deciding to build on their existing properties. It's it's creating a, a, a shortage, and you're going to see the sh the effects of the shortage. I think in 12 to 24 months, when these products that would have been getting built are not coming online and and finishing, uh, and, and coming on uh, uh, as well with interest rates falling into 2025, 2026. I think I think we're going to see another boom in 2025. To be honest. Yeah, and, and you know we we need the product, right? We have the immigration, we have the people. But affordability is out the window. More importantly, the developer is very difficult to make money, you know, now under, under the rules. Now, this October and uh, September, a lot of developers came to the market with a short term, I mean, the, the pre-sale uh, uh, product. But I tell you, by the end of this month, we will have a lot of them back up. Just mark my words, for the next two weeks, maybe as many of 30% that actually came to market, maybe not the big boys. Mm -hmm. They don't want to do it. And we have already developers giving back deposits. You know, you have, you have all of these things. Where you, just, just, you just can't make a profit. It's not possible to do it, right? So interesting times. Now, look, this is a new question for us. And thanks for taking the time to do this quick overview. You're going to delve into it a lot more on November 1. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I do a monthly webinar and uh, decided that this would be a really important topic to talk about. Uh, a lot of our clients have short-term rentals. So November 1st, at 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, I'll be doing a webinar all about short-term rentals, the impact on on the um, on anybody that owns short-term rentals in BC. So we'll be going into uh, more of the specifics and um, and just trying to give everybody the information that they need to make some educated decisions about what to do, uh, if, especially if you already own short-term rentals or if you're thinking of buying one. So um, also, I'll make sure that, uh, that you have that link, and then you can share that uh, perhaps in the um, uh, down down below. Yeah, we put that on onto the video now for the podcast maybe you should just spell me the website that could go to yep www.greenmortgageteam.ca and you'll be able to, uh, to sign up for a webinar there kyle as usual thank you very much for your input take yep. care and uh have fun with your short term <laughs> i'm having lots of fun ozzy <laughs> thanks so much